0: Hey everybody, if you enjoy the podcast and the content it provides, be sure to hop over and check out The Community. The Community is an exclusive members website that is just an extension of what we do here in July at the Central Virginia Sport Performance Seminar. What it is, is a combination of video lectures, a coach's corner with your Monday morning take-home information, and a forum where you can talk about anything and everything related to the field of strength and conditioning. In the community, you'll find content added each month from some of the top practitioners in the world, ranging from PhDs to high-level coaches, bringing you exactly what they're doing with their athletes or their research at the present moment. On top of that, an additional discussion by coaches bringing you that Monday morning information, things that you can add to your training program right away. Tying that in with the opportunity to discuss with coaches around the world in the forum on anything and everything from the topics addressed in these presentations to whatever you're seeing in your daily life as a coach. If this sounds like the right thing for you and your staff go ahead and hop over to CVASPS.com community and try it out for 48 hours for just a dollar. If you like it you're signed up ready to roll and you're jumping into all the great content added each month. If not feel free to go ahead and cancel at any time. No questions asked. We're really excited about what we're building in the community and hope you are too. Go ahead and hop over to cvasps.com slash community and check it out today. Hello and welcome to another Central Virginia Sport Performance Podcast. Today I have the distinct pleasure of talking with 2013 presenter Hank Krasenhoff. Hank was gracious enough to take some time out to answer some questions for us here at www.cvasps.com. Along with the questions posted by our readers on our Facebook page, Hank. Let's just jump right to it and get started here. The last time we talked, we uh, we spent a lot of the time talking about the how you go about the you know handling teams versus individuals. And and when we were talking, uh, you talked about setting up practice and how most mm-hmm. of practice should be set for like that middle of the road. Well, that's
1: what most coaches do. It's the most uh, easy thing to do because you have uh, let's say 60-70% of your players there in the, in the, in the, the average player. Uh, if they weren't in the uh, majority then it wouldn't be average I
2: guess.
1: Right. <laughs> so it's a majority. It's easier to have a, a, a team with 30 uh, kids and well, 21 are, are, are average. And sticking to the average you can barely go wrong with them. The, the five top uh, players they well they don't do much it, it's, it's too, too little for them they you, you, they could handle that much higher workload and the five ones that are the weak links in the, in the team you overload them so it, it's, it's logical and, and, and natural to go for the, for the average player for the for the you know, I would almost call it the mediocre players but of course it doesn't give the full uh, 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 the full result because the best players feel neglected, undertrained, trained uh, and also the players that are not that bad they can't handle the workload and, and maybe the weak links as far as workload is concerned but you, you, you might need them anyway if they get injured, they drop out and you need another replacement in there with all the problems uh, on there. so I, I always try in, in any team if it's 5 people or 50 people of course I understand that 50 people is much more work to give them what they need so give the best players an individual workout, the average player, which doesn't exist anyway, give them an the individual workout and, and give the, the, the weak link is a little bit uh, negative, but the players are not, not as good and, and and they might be very useful anyway. Um, give them what they need. So give everybody what, what, what they need and what they can handle. Right. Well. This is, of course, individualization of training. And this is uh, also in team sport. There's a a huge uh, um, progress to to be made, individualization of training. And that's where the the conditioning, of course, comes in.
0: So then how do you determine which would be which? You know, there may be one of your top players who may not be as fit, who may be in the the lower end, you know, the people that are being trained at too high a level versus yep. the individuals who may be getting too little training. How do yep. you distinguish who goes to X, Y, and Z, and then how do you handle that situation?
1: Okay, it depends a little bit on the, on the, on, 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 on the situation, the context, and the environment uh, in, in itself, of course. But normally it's based on uh, observation, what you already know about the players. That's the most used here. You know, a very strong player physically strong in the sense of uh, lifting weights and strength, strong in the sense of uh, having a very good endurance, uh, being able to run a lot of uh, mileage uh, during a game, or strong uh, could be mentally strong, being able to uh, uh, to, to to deal with uh, stress. But that's just a rough sketch of, uh, of it. And then you cannot base uh, an individual program on that. So it mainly depends on testing, on testing, and. Uh, Depending on the level of sports, I understand that in American football, you need a lot more maximum strength and, 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 and speed than, for instance, in a, in a game like, well, let me say, uh, basketball, or not, not ignoring the fact that, that, that speed and strength are important there as well, but not to, to the extent that it is in American football. Um, do you use growth motor skills or fine motor skills? Do you, do you need it? Do you need to be very accurate uh, in there? So it depends a little bit on the, on the type of sport, but what you do is testing of the, of the predominant energy system, testing of the predominant muscle groups, testing of the predominant um, uh, uh, necessities to, to, in order to perform, uh, in a sense of conditioning. And that's mainly independent of the technical, technical and, and, and technical qualities, of course. So it means doing a lot of testing, and and, uh, uh, last week a friend of mine, uh, a colleague of mine visited me, he's from Ireland, Fergus Connolly, he worked with the Welsh Rugby Union, and he worked with the Liverpool Soccer Team, and he's consulting to lots of uh, sports, and the guy is a genius in in monitoring and testing of, uh, individually based monitoring and testing of, of athletes in team sports. So... We discussed a lot of ideas. So we basically also uh, decided to write a book together. <laughs> Why not? <laughs> and uh, uh, well, he refined we his monitoring and testing skills to the to to and the, and the, I must say the highest uh, level. Uh, it's not only gathering data. Most coaches are just gathering data and they don't know what to do with it. Uh, it's also important that you know how to interpret the data, they have norms, reference values, and that, you know, the real secret in that is also, well, I have a guy who is uh, lifting a bench press, uh, let me say, uh, only uh, 100 pounds. Well, okay, here we go. Yeah, he's weak. He's definitely weak compared to the others. But how do you make him stronger? That's always the secret there. Uh, no matter how good you are, your, your quality is uh, as a... Like, uh, as a uh, how the quality of your diagnosis is, you need to interfere between the diagnosis, the results, looking at it and said, yeah, but what am I, am I going to do now to, to get the strength up?" And this is the complexity of training and, and the challenge of training and the most interesting part of training, of course. It's like your omega wave system that I use. Um, you can look at the results. Uh, some things are up, some things are down. But what to do now, <laughs> yeah. everybody can push a button and, and, and get a result. You can, I can put your foot, you've broken your foot. I can put your foot in an MRI machine, push the button, I get a nice picture of it. But then, number one, I don't see a, a thing on it. I can't see if the foot is broken or not. To me, it looks all, all broken, <laughs> pieces of bone there. And then, I am not a doctor. I don't know what to do to repair that, 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 uh, that angle of yours. So this is the, the thing for the code. The diagnosis is, is only the, the, the a proper diagnosis or proper evaluation of the athlete on an individual basis, only the first part of the, of, the, of the task. The second part is to fill the gap between the diagnosis, and in Germany say the the East-Viert, like it is, and the Sol-Wert means how it should be. So, the, well, I could say there the is value and, and, and there should be value. So where do you go to? And that's uh, that's the, the, the wide open field of, 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 of training. And it, it's basically unexplored territory still.
0: Oh, yeah. That's awesome. So, <coughs> Everything that you're doing then, even with the middle-of-the-road guys, to determine whether they're enough, not enough, too much, yep. is going to be based on a specific battery of tests that you're going yep. to identify for this specific sporting discipline. Yeah, absolutely.
1: absolutely.
0: And then everything that you're going to do based on that battery of tests is going to be based on what they can and can't handle, what they do and don't need, and where they are, as opposed to where they should be.
1: Yeah, you don't have to have a a, a detailed or deep knowledge of the sports, because I don't. Nor in field hockey, nor in ice hockey, nor in tennis, nor in, well, basically in any of the sports that I work with, as a conditioning coach, or as a consultant, rugby, I don't have a deep understanding of rugby, leave alone, uh, let me say, the rules of rugby, the the very deep rules of rugby, I don't understand. But it's unnecessary. You just look at it, you can find some data in some books. Some colleagues have uh, gathered data over a lot of time. You talk to me, you have an idea <clears throat> what the, what the uh, uh, physical qualities there uh, are that play player in that kind of sports needs. You don't need to be an astrophysicist in order to figure that out, I think. That's awesome. So it's it's very, very simple, I think.
0: Right. And that just goes back to the idea that we talked about last time where no matter what, all the the rules and theories and laws of biomechanics and physics and and physiology, Mm -hmm. they're universal. So when you know, our our saying in our high school soccer team when I was growing up in upstate New York, um, it it kind of resonated with me and it's, it's stuck even more into how I handle athletes now. And that's do what the game demands. Yeah. You know, and it's, it's, it was kind of our, our, our motto because, I mean, you know, football is so wavy, I guess yeah. would be the word, that it, at yeah. times you just need to, to alter how you play. And it's, it's the same with how you prepare an athlete, I think, is that there's, you know, Johnny over here might be X, Y, and Z, while Jenny over here could be yeah. A, B, and C. But at the end of the day... They probably need to be somewhere in LMNOP, you know, like in the middle, yep. and yep. it's uh, that's, uh-huh. neat. Yep. that's neat.
2: Yeah.
0: That's neat. When you're here, I might have to actually sit down and, and just be like, let's go over all these tests because uh, <laughs> let's let's see what what you're picking up on that we're missing.
1: Yeah. Um, for, for instance, I have an ex- example there, Um what is important that you make the right analysis of the sports. so do what the sport demands, but there's a lot of discussion of what the sport demands. For instance, uh, coming from sprints, we have different schools of sprints. Uh, in, in the past, we had uh, the Russian school of sprinting, which said, "Well, maximum strength is very important for sprinters." We had the Italian school of sprinting, which said, "Well, um, speed endurance is very important for sprinter." Like Pietro Mennea, Mennea scored the thing. We had the German school of sprint, said, "Well, it's all drills and skills, which, is, which are very uh, important." Uh, uh, let's say if you have a you look in the books and you can be confused. You look at 400 meters and you want to know which energy systems sh- should I train. Then you look at the Matthews and Fox uh, or any, any book about physiology and you say, well, 100 meter is mainly anaerobically. Yeah, okay, 95% anaerobically and only 5% aerobically. Then we go to the male well, yeah, it's 95% aerobically and maybe 5% aerob- anaerobically. But when you come to the middle, like 400 meters or 800 meters, the mixture between aerobic and anaerobic, well, if you look at different books, you get different numbers. Because some books will tell you that the 400 meter is mainly an anaerobic event, 70% anaerobic and 30% aerobic. Another book will tell you it's 50-50. Another book will tell you it's 40-60. So, that's a shocker if you think that you will uh, make a training program based on those numbers. So, now you ask yourself, should I do more anaerobic work based on the 70-30 anaerobic, or should I do more aerobic work based on the 40-60 aerobic work? So, where does confusion come from? It, it depends, for, for instance, how fast you are running the 40 meters. So if you make an analysis on people uh, like you and me, not even running, but you know, jogging the 40 meters in one minute, it might be more aerobically, because the oxygen has more time to get into our system, to our muscles. If we have a runner 40, 43, 44 seconds, the oxygen doesn't, not all the oxygen that is, that is uh, needed, and you use more oxygen anyway when you run that fast, gets into its place. So that might be, based on that analysis, it might be much more of an anaerobic uh, uh, event. So, one thing, you gather the data uh, from your own athletes and norms or references, but on the other hand, uh, that's a uh, Time consuming work, you need a lot of patience, probably a lot of years to gather all the data and to make a, a profile of your athlete. On the other hand, you can find it in books and articles, but you might go wrong. In, 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 in this case of the 400 meter, you might go wrong based on, on, on the assumption that it doesn't make a difference if you run the 400 meter in, in 43 seconds or in 63 seconds. It, it definitely makes a difference there.
2: Right. No? Wow.
0: So I guess you just need to choose your references wisely.
1: Yeah, absolutely. Yeah. <laughs> like always. <laughs> yeah, no doubt about it. Seems like a law of life, isn't it?
0: <laughs> oh. Ain't that the truth? Yeah. yeah. <laughs> so then, when we look at that and we're looking at the, the team and the individuals, and we're, we, we go back to these evaluations, we, we know that that's how you implement your preparation but is there anything else that goes into actually how you select the methods and the means that you're utilizing, both, you know, in a weight room and out of a weight room?
1: Well, look at at what has been uh, uh, done in the past and and, and all of you. You Just look around to your colleagues and and see how much their their programs uh, differ from yours. In Holland, at least, we have, uh, let's say, the National hockey team, or the Olympic hockey team uh, uh, for the men. The field hockey, I'm talking about. Mm. Well, before, it used to be, the conditioning used to uh, consist of, also consist of, of uh, weight training. Now, you could say, well, we don't need, need weights. The only thing we need is to play hockey. So, a very more specific approach. And if we do anything, uh, something, we do this with uh, in a, in a playing hockey with a weight vest, and leave out all the so the general stuff, the, the, the not necessary stuff, the injury uh, risky stuff like like squats and leg presses for hockey players, well, that's an interesting one. So even in the sports in which we in Holland are quite uh, quite uh, uh, dominant in, in the field hockey, even in this sport at this level and with this uh, uh, long history, from year to year or from four years to four years, every Olympic coach has his own idea about the, the role of conditioning and what kind of conditioning. One says only we should lift weights and do squats and leg press, and cleans and bench press, make these guys stronger. And the other guys No, we leave it out. The only thing we need to do is play more hockey. And also in soccer, we have the same trend towards what you call more specific, sport specific training. Now, one coach here in Holland uh, advocates only playing soccer. Only playing soccer five against five, five minutes and then a couple of minutes rest, and five against five, and a couple of minutes rest, and again five against five, and then as you get better and better, you uh, six or seven sets of five, playing five against five for five, six minutes. So it gives us all we, you need. It gives us endurance. It gives us technical and, uh, and, and uh, tactical qualities. It gives us speed, the speed that is needed, and it gives us strength, the strength that we need. We don't need to lift weights. We only That's uh, getting pretty popular in Holland right now. So, much more specific approach. So, you can only, uh, uh, their idea that you can only uh, uh, improve very specific qualities by practicing that very specific quality in itself. Hmm. I think there's a serious limitation there. There are many serious limitations there. <laughs> I totally disagree with that. but
0: that's Yeah, a nice story. the 5v5 is interesting to me. That's, yeah. yeah but, it's,
1: as a conditioning, you know, I can it yeah. as technical, technical uh, uh, drills and skill. Yeah, fine. But as a way way of conditioning, yeah, I believe that for endurance, if you are untrained, it will you can go a long way. I don't think it will increase your running speed or acceleration. Mm-hmm. And don't for sure, I, I I know it doesn't increase your your strength at all.
0: Yeah. <clears throat> well, and even technical, tactical wise, I don't know if. <clears throat> I mean, depending on the size of the grid, I mean, you're taking such a large element of the game out. Yeah. By putting them in a small grid all the time and having yeah. them play even numbers, not, you know, forcing people into defensive yeah. postures and roles. I mean, that's, that's interesting. Yeah. That's
1: interesting. It that is interesting. But it, it's a, 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 an idea, a concept that gets more and more popularity right now. <clears throat> yeah. It sounds plausible,
0: <laughs> Yeah. Uh um, yeah, you
1: need a leg press at kilograms, you need to kick the ball. So why should I do the leg press? Right. Because you have a transfer of leg press, things you do in leg press, to the ball, and where transfer is loss of transfer as well. You have losses uh, from every step in transfer, you got losses. So, yeah, how much of the leg press is, is uh, transferred into uh, kicking a ball more miles per hour or kilometers per hour? Uh, good question. Good question but
0: I doubt if' just kicking balls is a solution. <laughs> no, I, I agree. I agree. Um, so then when, we're, when we look, we also talked about um, the power output of 90%, yeah. and that kind of being uh, like your, your sort of rule, if we want to call it that, when we're looking at developing power in an athlete. Yeah. Um, other than the technology that you talked about, um, how else do you monitor this? You know do you do everything with that system? Jumps, sprints, throws, lifting. Um, you know, it's just only, basically only lifting. Okay. Like, well the sprint speak for itself.
1: Uh, in, in the power output is, uh, is uh, a means to an end, And the end is uh, running faster. In sprinters it's a uh, running faster, not just generating power. Uh, it's, it's running faster in a very specific uh, uh, movement, of course. It's different than the power output of a weightlifter.
2: Mm.
1: Uh, leave alone the power output of a powerlifter, <laughs> because <Right. laughs> it's very low. That's kind of uh, a mistake. It's one of the few sports in which power barely plays a role. It? Because it doesn't matter if you come up uh, from a very deep squat in, uh, in, 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 in 2 seconds or in 20 seconds. So the velocity of the bar doesn't play a role. So powerlifting is... Uh, is a wrong term for the event. And, um, no, uh, in sprints you always look for the quality. The same concept applies to sprints. I prefer if people run for the blocks, or standing start, or flying runs, take time or electronic timing, then I prefer to have four good runs, and four good runs, followed by six less good runs, or less fast runs. So stick to the four, it doesn't really matter. I want to see four fast ones and not four fast ones and then because fatigue, central nervous fatigue or whatever, uh, the speed is uh, uh, coming down. I don't need those because then I'm training in endurance and not speed anymore. And where does the injury come from? From the last six. Where does the overload come from? From the last six. Where does the overtraining come from? From the last six, not from the first four. So in this way I avoid uh, uh, injuries and overload the body remembers best what it did last that's yes. a biological law so um, if you do four good runs it will remember number four as being one that felt very good and one that's very fast we'll remember that one if you cover that up with six runs which are less fast or you have to, you're struggling or you're tightening up uh, during running you will remember this uh, the best so the body will adapt to the, to the bad runs uh, uh, rather than the good runs so it applies to power training Absolutely, but of speed training or everything that demands quality and power training as well, power training and speed training. Of course, not too endurance training. If you run 10 times 300, then you want people to be tired that and, 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 and uh, have a good uh, running technique in the last uh, uh, as well. So you fight the fatigue, but that's part of the, of the, of the demand of the, of the event if you're 400-meter runner or 800-meter runner or 200-meter runner.
0: So basically, it's just a matter of looking and evaluating what they're doing, and as soon as things start to break down, you're done.
1: Yeah. Yeah. Unless, unless once again, you're training for endurance. So So that would be... That's what what you want. You want to induce fatigue and continue uh, 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 moving, be running or lifting, despite that fatigue.
0: So that if we were to say there's an exception say? to that rule, so if, oh, okay, so if we were to say there's an exception to the rule, we would say that if, when you're training fatigue, this rule really does not apply. When you're training that's endurance, excuse me, this rule does not apply. But when we're training for movement quality and we're training for power output and speed, then this is the rule yeah. to apply.
1: Yeah, yeah, absolutely, very well, yeah.
0: We now, we also talked about fiber typing. Yeah. Does that have anything to do with this rule as well? And if so, how do you determine that?
1: Well, the first thing we did, uh, I can show you, I uh, spent a lot of time and a lot of years uh, looking at uh, muscle fiber typing. Is it relevant? Is it uh, significant? Is it reliable? Is it, uh, is it repeatable? Is it reproducible? Yeah, it is. And um, so we took biopsy, biopsies from athletes. I have the whole procedure from uh, on, on, uh, on, on pictures. You can see what what happens during a biopsy. Also the result of the biopsies with different colorings of the uh, mitochondrial enzymes, the glycogen, the fat, uh, and also the uh, ATPase and different pH. Um, so you can even see the at the at the colored biopsy uh, picture you can see it yourself but it's fast and slow pitch. we also looked at uh, hypertrophy factors and uh, atrophy factors uh, normal is, uh, this size hypertrophy factor it's like this and atrophy factor if well atrophied because of uh, disuse of uh, muscles for instance or a disease uh, so there's always factors we took to, uh, into account you have to make muscle biopsies which is uh, a little bit limiting because of the cost and, uh, and the recovery of infection people have to stick their fingers in the little wound. And, but it, it's really, have to, it's, it's not a, it's an invasive uh, uh, procedure. It's absolutely true, but, well, it's as invasive as uh, filling a tooth. So uh, that's about it. But uh, I know for a large scale, for a whole team, for 50 guys, that's a little bit uh, difficult right there. So we use the Bosco uh, jump net, and Carmelo Bosco in the past uh, used to, uh, the jumps and the biopsy the jumps and the biopsy the jumps and the biopsy found a very good relation between amount of fast twitch uh, fiber type uh, fast fibers the percentage fibers, and the height of the jump well nothing new yeah because James Councilman James councilman found it uh, probably 10 years before just by simple jump and reach So if you jump and reach what's very high you would be it, and you have a oh well, if the jump reach was uh, low, you are more of, an, of a, a long-distance swimmer. So this is, has been known for a long, long time. There's nothing new here, here. But what are you going to do with this? So we use the jump method, to make a very good estimation between uh, fiber type and, uh, and, uh, and, uh, and uh, jump height. And, well, you can um, base your training on that, that, uh, that, uh, that, 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 that result makes a difference if you have an 80% fast, which 5 and 20% slow, which with all the subtypes, like type 2B, type 2A, type 2C, type 1A or 1B. Um, then we take a second biopsy after a year, and you can see if the changes are going into the right direction. We have a long-term evaluation. So that's what we did in the past, in 1986, 1987. It's yeah. so a long, long way. This is the guy... Sorry, go ahead. Go ahead. There's another guy who did a lot of work in that. That's uh, of course, no, it's uh, Carmelo Bosco himself who did the testing in Italy and uh, Josef Tihani from uh, from uh, Budapest in Hungary. And in that same time frame, 1986 to 1990, he did a lot of work uh, on this as well. A training program based on the individual fiber type. But strange enough, it was not translated into English, I think it only is in. Uh,
2: language and in German. Oh. <laughs> and uh, only
1: the abstract uh, of the journal is in, uh, is in English. But it's very interesting, of course, to have a, take the muscle fiber composition as a leading uh, parameter for establishing your, your, your weight training. Does that make sense? Because if you're you want to increase the fast fibers in size, but not the slow fibers. If you're an endurance runner, you don't, it doesn't really matter. much of a difference. And if you're bodybuilder, you really don't care which which side you blow up. It could be the fast ones or the slow ones. Especially the fast events and the explosive events, it's very important because you don't want to hypertrophy the the slow fiber too much.
0: So then looking at that in a team sport, though, with the possibility of having individuals who may... I mean, they're not going to be hugely separated on the spectrum... But you may teeter a little bit. Do you you think that altering the training program based on those fiber types would be more proactive than just finding the goal of the training program based on the tests? Or would you implement kind of a a right-left combination of the two? Mm -hmm. This is what we need. This is what we have. This is how we can improve what we have based on what we need on those tests.
1: Yeah, for me, the fiber type is dominant. It also depends on the task on the field. If you're in soccer, if you're a midfielder or a defensive player or an attacker, the fiber type uh, differs. Uh, the, the, the midfielder is, is running more, so it's more of a slow fiber type, and the attacker is most at the of the sprinter, the fast guy who is a faster fiber type. So, then we also look at the test, the test of inference squads or leg press, uh, which are relevant for uh, for these guys. Um uh, and so, let me say, the dominant test is the fiber type. And on top of that, or below that, <laughs> from which angle you approach, is the the, the, the testing strength. Because they're not always uh, related. Uh, the, the, like I said, uh, the, the, the power lifter has huge muscle, is very strong, but you might have slow fibers because he doesn't move that fast. Uh, and, uh, well, there are some... No, I know sprinkles but two four runners, two hundred to four meter runners, don't have to have eighty percent faster tribe because they would burn out fast. So it differs there as well. And most people of course have a 50/50 uh, uh, type. Right. So the average average, 50 fifty fifty is the average person. And then we're talking fastus lateralis here, not the the uh, deltoid or whatever. Fasus lateralis is a is a marker muscle for always of uh, 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 uh. Movement for running, swimming, cycling, speed skating, uh, uh, and basically anything.
0: That's great. That's awesome. That's, that's I have a
1: lot of data. I have a lot of data on that. It's more than. It's, it's sometimes difficult to express myself in, in, in verbally in an abstract way. But I have the data to show the pictures and the graphs and everything. Uh, oh, like a lot of data in the past. I'm a maniac in that. So.
0: Oh yeah, no, no, no. I think it's that helped. you did a great job with it because what you basically are saying is. We're going to look at the individual and see what we're actually working with, uh-huh. and then we're going to look at the team sport and see what we actually need to do, yeah. and then we're going to look and see what can we do with that individual, what they're made of, to make them perform what's required at a higher level at the actual sporting discipline. I mean, you're not going to make you're not you're not going to make a painting out of clay, uh-huh. you know, and, and you're not going to make a sculpture on a canvas. No, exactly.
2: You're,
0: you know, exactly. and it's yeah, no, that's really yeah. when you're I here th- with,
1: with, as a national coach. And what's kind of uh, everybody hated me for doing that. I don't know. Maybe it was a technique, something invasive, of something that had never been done. But I thought I was responsible as a national coach for the sprinting events in Holland, and uh, I found it almost impossible to to, to turn a, a donkey into a racehorse or to to participate in a Formula One race with a, with a jeep. So, by taking the biopsy, you just lift the hood and see what kind of engine is in there. You can see it from the outside, you can see the times, but if, if you have girls running 12 seconds, you might also run that with 50% fast-food fibers. It also means that you'll never run under 11 seconds. The 50% fiber doesn't prohibit you to run 12 seconds, but prohibits you to, 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 to limit you to run uh, under 11 seconds. So, by taking the muscle biopsy, it would save the federation money, which isn't that important. It would save my time, which isn't that important, that's the only thing I had at that time. But it saves the athlete uh, from injuries. Try to drive a Formula One race uh, with a Jeep. What happens? After one lap, uh, it, you blow up the engine. That means injuries for the athletes. So I had to tell athletes to go to you know, shift towards a, a longer and slow event, to 400 meters, because they had 50% of uh, fast-width fibers. And you can not only see from the fibers itself, also from the size of the fibers, which fibers you tapped into, which ones you trained or not, because slow and fast have basically the same uh, diameter when you start. And then you start to make sure the fast switch fibers hypertrophy. When you do too much endurance running as, a, as an athlete, as a sprinter, you can see the slow fibers hypertrophy, but you can also see the mitochondria in which you can color through a, a, a special... Chemical treatment—you mm-hmm. can color the mitochondria, and you will see them shift towards the outside. Normally, they're evenly dispersed throughout the fiber. If you don't do too much aerobic work in the endurance athletes, uh, you will see the mitochondria form a ring on the outside, because then the fusion distance uh, uh, to the um, uh, capillaries is much more It's much more efficient to be close to the to the to the side of the mitochondria than it is to be in the middle. So you can see a ring of mitochondria here and inside is kind of white. There's no mitochondrion there. That's what you see in extreme endurance runners. So mitochondria shift to the outside of the of the cell to be closer to the open where the oxygen comes in. So that's something else to see if people trained train right or wrong in the past.
0: I bet that's really neat to look at.
1: <laughs> it is, it is. <laughs> I have the yeah. pictures. Yeah, it is, it is. It is. Oh. It sounds like magic. Look at the picture. Said, "Okay, it's cool. You uh, I bet you were better in the sixty meters. That's cool. As a junior, and in the in, in the Cooper test. Oh yeah, how do you know? Okay, but you run in winter. You always run crosses or long, long distance running, did you? Yeah, how do you know? Well, look at <laughs> just yeah. look at one picture of the biopsy. <laughs>
0: That's awesome. Uh, That's really, I, you know. It, if I could, I would. Let me tell you. I'd, shoot. I'd walk around with a little needle almost every other day. Uh, it's time.
2: Yeah, it's, it's still pretty popular in Sweden, for instance. It's pretty popular.
1: No big deal. Uh, people do it for a cross-country skiers. It's, it's a normal procedure. It's nothing. I see in the U.S. with uh, uh, suing your doctor if something is wrong. The system that's oh, not, sure. uh, uh, yeah, it's only something for the U.S., uh, I guess. In Europe, that's not that uh, usual to sue your doctor. It's a human... Being too and make mistakes just like you do. So, but <laughs>
2: yeah.
0: Well, I mean, you can't write a you can't write a master's thesis without going through an internal review board to make sure it's okay.
1: Yeah, exactly, exactly. But it's all I wrote. I, I wrote an article in Dutch. It's the culture of anxiety. Uh, everything is based on anxiety nowadays. Oh yeah. You know, anxiety is the main characteristic of the of the Homo sapiens right now. It's an anxious, pink, anxious animal. Yeah based on fears, uh, justified or not. But we are are guided and and, and governed by anxiety. And then you have all kinds of rules to give you the uh, the, the unjustified feeling of security and safety. Of course, uh, rules don't take care of security and uh, and safety at all. We know that for a long time. (laughs) You can see it every day.
0: (laughs) And as a matter of fact, it probably contributes worse to it. that's why people should read Sapolsky's book (laughs) (laughs) Uh, so then kind of coming back to looking at the the track and field athlete or the athletics athlete if if we are looking at how you develop those workouts since there's so many different qualities that go into the race you know, the start and acceleration and the, you know, top end speed and maintaining the speed, you know, kind of thinking about it in that 90% rule that we were talking about earlier, do you separate those in a training session? Meaning, do you focus primarily on, if you got a 100-meter sprinter, is it the first 15, 20 meters, and then the middle 40, and then the final 40, or do you just say, we're going to work a 100-meter sprinter, and all these qualities are so intertwined that we're going to work them all at once?
1: Well, not all at once, of course, because then some things are, have a positive interaction, and some things have a negative interaction. Mm-hmm. Endurance, speed endurance, has negative interaction with uh, with the power and speed. If you do too much uh, speed endurance work, uh, there is always some slow fibers involved. That's number one, and that's number one. You know, it's a funny story. You can always there's always uh, the discussion like uh, like before. What is more important? Is it in uh, physical qualities like strength? The Russians focus much on strength. The Italians speed and endurance. The Germans or uh, technique and coordination. Or is it uh, on which part of the race? Now, the longest part of the race and probably the most important part of the race is the acceleration phase. There. Because if you're a good athlete, you can always extend it into 60 meters. The higher the acceleration is, the better your acceleration, the higher your maximum speed is. And the higher your acceleration is, and the longer your acceleration And the longer the higher your maximum speed, and the later you have, the less time there is to lose speed anyway. So if your acceleration phase is 30 meters and your maximum speed you maintain for 30 meters, then after 60 meters, it's downhill from there, <laughs> or I would say, uphill from there, yeah. <laughs> the speed is going down the last 40 meters. But if you accelerate for 60 meters and maintain your maximum speed for another 30 meters, then it's only 10 meters to to, uh, to lose speed anyway. So the, the better you become, the, the more important the acceleration phase becomes. What Or you can say, well... The worse you are, just printed the most, the, the more important acceleration becomes, because that's where you gain from 30 from 30 meters to 60 meters. So acceleration is uh, is always uh, king. It sets you up for a high maximum speed, and both set you up for uh, having less uh, uh, dealing with fatigue and uh, and with uh, speed endurance. But the funny thing is, uh, look at reaction time. Reaction time. So, yeah, well, reaction time. How much difference does it make? But if you look at the, at the tape if you look at the finish then you see races are won and lost in, in the hundreds or two hundreds of seconds and it might be that you already lost them at the reaction uh, before you made the first step out of the blocks so uh, 180 milliseconds or 140 uh, 140 milliseconds is four hundreds of a second so if your reaction time is uh, 18 hundreds of uh, uh, 180 milliseconds you might have lost the race <laughs> just yeah. when the gun went you already lost the race right there so it is important, you can say what is important, the thing is what is important for you and the other thing is what is important for you at that time in your race in your, in your development, in your career so those are the, are the main questions, it's not that per se strength is more important than endurance, it's not uh, that acceleration is more important than the reaction time it depends on the dynamic picture of, 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 uh, of you and your opponents so it's, it's a it's, it's, it's not being uh, diffuse or vague but I could just say well it, it, it depends a little bit you have to take in many many things into account and your vision into account in general I would say acceleration is important that means explosive strength and strength are the most important qualities right there but if that would be absolutely true then power lifters and weightlifters and shot putters would be our best 100 meter runners so to a certain extent explosive strength and power are important to another extent, of course, it's not, otherwise uh, we would see, uh, see, uh, see 120 kilogram guys uh, at a tape uh, way ahead. Mm-hmm.
0: Yeah. And you'd probably it's probably safe to assume that this is the same approach that you would take with a team sport athlete. <laughs>
1: yeah, yeah, absolutely. Yeah. There yeah. is no difference. The only thing is you do it all together. The only difference is, is uh, of course, uh, the, the, the group dynamics and, uh, and, uh, and the attitude. There's a... Uh, you know, the Riegelmann effect, I always use that for team sports, uh, the Riegelmann effect. Uh, it's like uh, the more people are involved in the task, the less the individual contribution is to the task. It's like a rope pulling. you know, the one against one, you give 100%. Now you do it two against two, and you measure again uh, on a, on 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 uh, 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 how do you call it, uh, a force inducer. You measure again, two guys, it's only 95%. Of the individual contribution. And if you do it with 10 guys, only 80% of the individual contribution, we can, well, you know, there's nine other guys. Mm-hmm. Uh, so that's that's an important aspect of, 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 of uh, team sport. So it's always important to bridge that gap from 80% to 100%. So motivation and, and mindset are important things in team sport as well. It's often neglected, but individual contribution could be, uh, could be the most limiting factor. But uh, he's relying on somebody else to do the job. That's not very good.
0: Yeah. <laughs> Um, so, so kind of coming in with that, I, th- I think that the, the neat part is, is, you know, you talk about how the Russians said that the special strengths were really important and yep. the, you know, the Italians had a different mindset and then the Germans were, were German and it's yep. technique, skill, practice, yep. practice, regiment, 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 Yeah. um, I mean, it's, it's kind of funny how it, it always kind of comes back to the middle and the answer's pretty much, well, yes. You know, yeah. for, for all three of them, you know. It's, yeah, exactly, you know.
1: exactly, exactly. Don't forget in the 1980s we had this famous and uh, notorious uh, duel between Carl Lewis and, and Ben Johnson and coaches. looked at Ben Johnson and said, Hank, you know, you know what I think is important is strength, strength. Look how strong uh, uh, Ben Johnson is. Look how, how much he bench spreads and how much he squats. I think strength is the most important factor. Another coach came come up to me and said, "I think it's relaxation and technique. Those are the only things that are important." Look at Carlo, how relaxed he is. What do you think? He said, "Well, it depends. <laughs> <laughs> if your foot hits a track, you better be strong. If you're in the air, where the, where oh, you better be relaxed. So it's the quick succession of strength of applying strength and, and the relaxation at the same time. So it's not one or the other. It, it, both time it's both it, times. It's most. Yeah, that's absolutely true.
0: Yeah." Uh, so then, we also talked last time about the 10,000-hour rule, and I oh, think God. that talking about the technique, this, this kind of leads in really well, um, and I think that our discussion so far has really kind of led to, to this. Obviously, you know, an athlete's individual improvement, a rate of improvement is going to be almost as, as individual as their DNA itself. But how much of a role can you see, like the, the outside preparation and con, you know conditioning and strength and all that, actually, where do you see that role in accelerating the actual development of the athlete? Uh, let me see. Can you
1: explain
0: a little bit more what you, what you were... In the...
1: Well... You mean with,
0: with speeding the, up the, the learning process? Yeah, well, and, and improving just... How they per- perform. Spe- yeah, speeding up the learning process, performance improvement. Where do you see this role of conditioning in that sort of, I mean, I guess, you know, kind of combining the whole, the, the Germans and, and the Russians, how they talked about the process of attaining sport mastery. Where do you see kind of the, the general and then the, the specialized training ideas away from the actual technical, tactical work? How, how big of a role do you see that playing? And where do you see that role being most important?
1: Well, another factor comes into play that's a mental aspect of, of uh, training and coaching as well. Um, don't forget, we need successes. We need a little squirt of dopamine in our brains to say, yes, this felt good, this is okay, I won that competition, it increases dopamine as a, as a reward, it increases testosterone if you win, it uh, decreases testosterone and inc- increases cortisol when you lose. So, the, the mental aspect of, even the mental aspect of conditioning is, is I think, very important. And um, yeah. it's very hard to, to just work, work, work very hard without any sign of progress. Even testing might be a reward. So you know they worked hard, and it's okay. Today we're going to do a time trial, or we do a test to show them there's progress, that their work paid off. Even if it's indirectly just in a test or a tile, not in competition, it's very important. So you're always given the feeling of being successful, of making headway, of, 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 of going forward in just uh, uh, stepping on the place and not knowing where to go. And uh, Did I improve? So it's also important to combine all those things once in a while uh, uh, together. It's important as a shot putter that you do uh, well in the bench press, but you're still curious what you will do in the shot put in itself, you know, that you uh, gained uh, 40 pounds in the bench place. is interesting, but it might not necessarily uh, mean that you throw the shot much, uh, much uh, further. And um, it's the environment you create as a coach uh, uh, as, as well. That's what separates, I think, uh, the, the excellence in, in the coaches like uh, John Wooden or... Uh, 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 well, mention, mention all the coaches, especially in, in team sport, that creates an environment of, uh, of fruitful work, of success and uh, create the necessary conditions for it in, in, in all aspects. It sounds a little bit esoteric but it, it, it's definitely not, definitely not. If you're always uh, uh, rough and tough and giving negative feedback uh, to your athletes, it doesn't really help. So you have to give them that little bit of of, uh, success once in a while. The horse wants a little candy once in a while, you know, that's an important one. And you can reach that by uh, testing or time trials or, um, well, stimulating uh, stimulating that. It's not not magic, but it's still magic because everybody knows, but few people do it. And this is my main problem in sports. A lot of coaches uh, know a lot of things. The only thing is they forget to apply it to themselves, and everybody says, yeah, yeah, of course we, we know it, uh, of course, oh, it speech for itself. When you see what they do, look at their behavior, observe them, it's not what they're doing, they're doing something else than they think they are doing, This is their blind spot, most of the time. So, it seems very obvious, but in, in, in real practice, in real life, it's not very obvious. <laughs> <laughs> right. <laughs> it's like everybody eats eats well but are, are you eating uh, how's your? oh no we eat, always eat fresh vegetables and fresh fruits and well where are the people with the wrong diet then with a the bad diet i never encounter athletes with that are eating terrible never where are they they don't seem to exist because everybody thinks they are eating well it's a blind spot we have for ourselves and coaches do the same thing of course and they said well no, know, I'm so careful with my athletes, uh, I seldom have injuries. And say, okay, hey, where's uh, this guy? Oh, he's just coming back from the surgery. <laughs> yeah. oh, here. oh, no, they all at the physio because uh, they have a little bit of a problem with their achilles tendon. So that's uh, contrary to what they said before, they're taking good care of the athletes and they seldom encounter injuries, you know. When you look at the hard data, there it is. <laughs>
2: yeah.
0: Well, so then let's talk about, with, with your, look,
1: you, can, you can ask another question if you want to about this.
0: Yeah. Um, you,
1: you want to know that you have another, you have another question or have another answer, not,
0: Yeah, we no. So, so I, I like that though. That's, that's really, that's really, that wasn't the direction I was going, but that's, that's interesting is understanding that, you know, as you said, the horse likes candy, but I'd, I'd even almost say it like you can dangle the carrot in front of the horse for only so long before the thing better eat it. Exactly. You know,
1: exactly. exactly. Just
0: the right expression. Um. Yep. But looking at, like you said, with the the Dutch hockey team right now, all they're doing, or they have done, or, or yeah. different coaches have said, it's all about we need to play hockey, hockey, hockey. That's how yeah. we're going to get better. Yeah. With with a coach like that versus the coaches that you were saying, they want them to be stronger in the squat and the bench and yada yada yada. Some would say general, some could say there's some general specific training, some could say specialized exercise. Where do you feel that sort of work, like how big of a role does that have in accelerating the athlete's ability to perform at a higher level, the conditioning aspect?
1: Yeah, I was just writing, thinking today to write an article about it. I have a lot of uh, uh, it's already written in my hand, but I have to put it on paper now. It's, it's just a matter of sitting for one afternoon. It's, it's the, 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 the subtle balance between uh, repetitions, the same movement all over, to get it uh, as a automatized, at one hand, and the variation at the other hand. You don't need to vary if you only do the shopping with the with the seven point uh, or seven kilos, then. The, the learning effect levels off,
2: mm-hmm.
1: and your performance level off. So then you do it with the heavier weight, you know, the Bondachuk, uh thing with n- the nine, eight, 9 kilos, or with the six and, six uh, and six five eight. kilograms uh, hammer. Okay, you have to do that. Um, on the other hand, if you only uh, start swinging with a five kilogram hammer, if you only do it with the nine kilograms hammer, what happens with the seven kilograms? Then?
2: Mm-hmm.
1: So. Um, you need to do a certain amount of repetition in order to automatize the, 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 the movement. That uh, could be open or closed, it doesn't make, it make a difference. So, so you, you can handle that, that specific uh, skill. And shot put is doing the shot put, it's pretty uh, much the same all the time. And in soccer, is just uh, heading the ball uh, at the right place and not with your ear. Uh, there's many uh, many things uh, to do in an open skill movement like basketball or soccer or any other team, ball uh, sports or team sports, of course. But um, you need to automatize in on one hand and on the other hand. Is, uh, for me, there's always a question is a movement the same or not? People say you should have variation, more, much more variation in there. But research shows if you have a hammer and you hammer a nail 20 times, when you look at it very closely, not one movement is exactly the same. It's almost impossible to make the same movement again. So there is a variation already there, even if it's limited. You can never, no, you never, you never cross the same river twice, but you never hit the same uh, nail with uh, the same hammer the second time. It's a different movement uh, in there if you look at it. That, that's one thing. So how many? Uh, how many repetitions should you make before a movement is automatized? And if it automatized, it, it, it could mean that you only can execute this movement and no other movements anymore. Or is there transfer to movements which are related? So that's a that's a fine, a very fine balance.
2: Right.
1: A very fine balance. And uh, uh, both extremes are wrong. If you only repeat, 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 you get to a, a motor stereotype and your performance will lower a level of. If you only beat around the bush and do all kinds of nice drills, nice drills, but never practice the whole thing, the whole competition movement, you won't do it. Uh, in Holland, we had a uh, hurdle, uh, hurdlers, and they, they were the kings of drills. They could actually, pum, 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 pum tray leg, lean leg, uh, they, they could often. Of but when it comes to real hurdling, clearing the hurdle with the, with the competition, you couldn't do it. And, and they looked flawless flawless when, when, they, when they executed all those drills. So they were the kings of drills. Also in, in all the sprinting drills, you can, people who do drills and skips and hops and ABC drills and any drill, perfect to profession, textbook. When you see in sprinting, it doesn't look like anything. So here's again this fine balance between variation at one hand. Don't vary to vary, make a variation in your work with a certain goal to it. And not just vary to have a a wide spectrum of exercises. That's so, uh, how I come up to exercise athletes, otherwise my workout looks bored. That's that's not uh, the, the meaning of variation of uh, training. It should always be geared towards the goal. If you know what the purpose is of this variation, that's better than you just do something just to fill your time.
0: Ah, yeah. oh, now that, that's a great, interesting point. So what you're saying is, is to vary an exercise or to vary a program, for the yeah. sake of what I would can we can we call it mental health? Yeah, yeah, um, yeah. avoiding boredom. Yeah, yeah, is really garbage yeah. if it doesn't yeah. keep you on task to reach your final destination.
1: Yeah, you see it in the wait room most of the time, you know.
0: Yes, but no, and, and coming back to what you just said, I think that's pretty awesome because. You know, there was another question that was given to us by a reader that was basically, how much technical work do you feel is necessary or overkill Mm -hmm. um, to improve speed? And if I can interject, I have a feeling that the answer is going to be the amount of technical work that is necessary is the amount of technical work that is necessary, and anything more than that is overkill.
1: Absolutely. Yeah. If you look at my athletes, you will see they all have... Some schools of, of of coaches in sprinting have the all. You can see where they come from. You look at the athlete to see which is who, who the coach is because they all run the same the same way. If you look at my athletes, you can't say where they come from because they all run according to their own muscle fiber type, body structure, uh, muscle fiber type, uh, anatomic uh, uh, individual differences. Um, I respect the, the individual difference between uh, and, and don't, uh, the individual difference between uh, humans and don't try to push them into the matrix that I made up in my mind to make things easier for myself. So uh, one one I learned this at the very in my first year of coaching. I was very young, nineteen I was 22 years old. and so started uh, at a club. I didn't want to be a coach, but I kind of twisted my arm to be a coach, and uh, <laughs> it's really. <laughs> And there was a, a, a young kid, and he was a triple jumper, and he was always walking places, so like toes out, toes out, toes out. And every drill that he did was toes out, toes out. But in a triple jump, you go from this foot to this foot, take yeah. off in, in, in this direction, so you're losing distance there. And uh, then I had a brilliant idea, making the drills and jumps over a white line, you know, the line the, just the lines on the track. Keep your foot parallel to the line. He did, tuck, 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 parallel line. Came walking back and said, Hey, did it look uh, anyway any good? <laughs> so I know. Then uh, uh, a friend of mine, uh, an orthopedic surgeon, I said, oh, This guy is, and, and he knew the, the athlete that we talked about. He said, Yeah, oh, I have a big problem uh, with the, with his, his, his feet towing up. I said, Yeah, there's, there's no problem because uh, we can solve it uh, pretty simple. Uh, you can make sure that his feet turn this way. Really? Yeah, so it takes a five hour surgery to do that. I and mean, that's one leg. The other leg takes another five hours uh, surgery to change everything because, you know, it's anatomical. Because there was no muscle imbalance. Huh? Of course, we look at the muscle imbalance as well uh, hip, uh, hip rotators and everything. No muscle imbalance, just an anatomical abnormality, uh, as a matter of fact. So now you can change the rest, um, try the rest of your life to. Make his foot uh, point forward, but of course it's useless. It's, it's against his 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 uh, his abnormality. Uh, this is this is one of the problems. Sometimes you try to uh, change things, which you cannot change because it's against the the, the way this person is built. It's, it's again trying to make the jeep run Formula One by stepping mm-hmm. way down on the accelerator, stepping all the way down. Well, you can do that, but it doesn't really help you to win that race. No,
0: it's great.
1: Uh, again, here, uh, here the same thing applies. For instance, I coached uh, uh, Mary Pierce. Uh, she was a tennis player for conditioning. And um, then, again, the same thing. How much soccer players and tennis players and also table tennis players, most ball sports are, have something like, well, if they don't practice with the ball or with the tennis record or for two days, they, they've lost it lost it. Well, even if you wanted to lose it, you can't. If they have put you in a, in a box for, uh, for uh, six years with oxygen and food and everything and you can't move, you come out and still play tennis <laughs> and you still yeah. play soccer, apart from the, <laughs> the muscle entropy of course. But you don't lose that even if you wanted to. How can you lose in two days? How many balls do you hit during uh, a day? Well, hundreds or more, uh, probably a thousand balls uh, during that day. How can you lose it in two days? Now, what they really mean is that uh, the fine coordination, the fine coordination, is gone a little bit. So my question is: How many balls do you need to hit before you got it back? Well, I found out in practice there was very little. You hit, you hit the ball for 10, 10, 20 balls, and it's there again. So then that basically meant that I could save two days of uh, hitting the ball. Avoiding injuries on the shoulder, or in the wrist, or in the elbow, or back injuries. Avoiding that by doing less uh, less uh, technical training. By, uh, with, uh, instead of just, let me mm-hmm. say, uh, pointlessly and uh, without uh, any proper goal, just hitting balls, hitting balls to hit the ball. To, to what? To standardize it. Like I said, every ball is, is, a, is a different one, so you don't really standardize Every ball has a different angle, has a different speed. Has a different uh, uh, a goal in the end where you hit it and where you want it to go. So every ball is different. So you don't really standardize right things or, or automatize uh, things. In, in, in it. It's just uh, an, an idea.
2: Right.
1: Just in the mind that it's, it's, again, based on anxiety. Like, like I said, I was, I, I, was a, I was a high jumper. I was a high jumper. I only jumped two meters. Uh, but uh, at least I tried. And then one day I started. Based on the books of, uh, of, of Rehuzjansky that time, uh, 1976, 77, I started to lift weights. this we discovered weight training. And um, mm-hmm. then I started to do squats. And then I thought, well, squats, yeah, that's good. But you also need the glutes, uh, exercise, and calf muscles, because you'll take off the uh, uh, plantar extension. Okay. But then you do the abdominal exercises, it's four. But when you're abdominals, you also need to do back exercises, fine. And then you need hamstring exercises as well, where you have a quad, you have a hamstring to keep the balance. And when you have a calf, you have a tibialis anterior. But then my upper body needs to be in, uh, in, in, in good shape as well, so I do the bench press. But also the biceps. I ended up for the hijab doing uh, wrist curls in the end to be complete. So I ended up in the weight room for two hours and a half doing, in the end doing wrist curls. What? To keep the balance in my body so all the muscles were evenly uh, trained. Well, just leading to overload, you only need three, four exercises, and basically that and you can, If you want to uh, uh, improve that mental health, you can do something else, uh, 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 step-ups or lunges or, or whatever exercise you can do. Military press. Hey, it's fine to do it once in a while, but always keep keep in mind that that we always try to be complete as coaches. Our own anxiety most of the time that they want to be complete. You don't leave anything to chance, and you won't want to say we didn't give it anything, everything we have. So those are the two main drivers in coaches. We are we are control freaks and most of the time perfectionists. And that us, And if you don't, then we we turn anxious. Well. Could be one rep more, one exercise more. What does it harm? No, it, it never you in, uh, harms you in the long term, in the short term. It always harms you in the long term. Mm-hmm. So this is, this is uh, the key of, uh, of uh, training, I think.
2: Yeah.
0: No, that's that's a fantastic point. And it's, so looking at that, when you're selecting exercises, do you utilize any specialized work? Do you utilize any... Specific exercises to enhance techniques and skills in that manner to help the athletes develop. <clears throat> um,
1: you mean weight exercises or, or specific, specific or specialized strength exercises? Yes. Okay. Okay. Um. Yeah, I do. I do of course. I. I'm a, I'm a keen follower from the very beginning, 1976 already of of Berger Shansky with complex training and so on. And, uh, uh, I believe in a in 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 a, in a, in a, a balanced uh, balanced approach of uh, qualities and a and a and a, 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 a balanced enhancement of uh, of uh, qualities. If you do not overdo the maximum strength, you come to the track and you can't sprint anymore. You know that's too Or um, if you just overdo it and don't combine it with them. For instance, another thing is that tennis players are also uh, afraid that lifting weights will make them slower and, and less flexible and lose their fine coordination, which is true if you lift weights, uh, uh, let me say, uh, 15 hours a week and not hitting any tennis balls You, the week, do this for you, you might have lost something, absolutely. You might have turned into a weightlifter or a bodybuilder. But when you still hit hundreds of balls uh, at daytime, you don't have to be afraid that you lose that fine coordination because you would, you would notice it immediately the next day. So that's, that's, that's not, uh, that's not uh, true. But um, yeah, I think that on one hand, you have a foundational maximum strength, like everybody kind of knows. Uh, then you need explosive strength or power, which are very closely uh, related because it's maximum acceleration of the bar and of yourself. Um, and then still you need to have that one step of transfer from uh, from this uh, explosive strength to a more uh, let's say specific movement, like jumping, like bounding so you start with squats then you do the hurdle bounding then you do the bounding, the horizontal bounding and then you get into the blocks but that's average that's average because Think about it. We uh, used to do this this complex training, according to Gavin Shansky. There is a kind of a complex. And then you repeat it again. One set of squats, one set of hurling, one set of bounding, and then starting. And then again. And then you repeat it. It's called it, that's the original complex uh, training. And... Um, but if you have fast-rich fibers... And here comes the fiber type into play very nicely. If you have fast-rich fibers... And first you do squats. Or for... Heavy squats, uh, around uh, 90% 90 of your 1RM. Or you do power squats, it doesn't matter. What do you want to do? You want to basically tap into the fast fibers. By tapping into the fast fibers, you need to recruit them. Then you do the bounding over hurdles. Two-leg bounding over hurdles. What fiber types use fast fibers? Then you do the bounding, horizontal bounding. For instance, 10 jumps for maximum distance, uh, 30, 31 meters or 35 meters. What do you use? Fast fibers. By the time you get it to the blocks, fast fibers run out of fuel. <laughs>
2: mm-hmm.
1: So I noticed for people with lots of fast fibers, the complex training didn't work. Because by the time you get to the core of the of what you really want to improve, you already on the way on the way there, you already burnt the fast with fibers. <laughs> they run out of fuel. <laughs> so the complex training mainly works for uh, uh, for people with fast fibers. We just first do starts and then the weightlifting after, for this reason, so they can use the, uh, the, the fast fibers for their, the main course, and that was the starting, proving the start. And then the weightlifting you can do after for the fast fiber that are left. Uh, for the people who have more slow fibers, they responded better to doing weights before and then do the starts. So that's a, that was an interesting uh, observation, uh, but. You know what, I didn't do any scientific research on it. I only have uh, basic research to to, uh, to support this. Why not? Because it's only four, five, six, seven people I tried with. And it's only case studies. It's not a double-blind, placebo-controlled uh, uh, study with lots of uh, people. We, we don't have much people uh, of that quality that I, that I used to work with. But it was an interesting idea. Also, I, again, based on fiber types.
0: Hmm. That is pretty neat. So
1: the, the order of your the order of your your exercises first strength and then doing the starts or first starts and then doing the strength because like I said, they in, in, in the complex training of Vechiansky that, that he uh, that he promoted in the nineteen seventies and eighties that didn't work for fast athletes. But don't forget, he worked with Russians. He never worked with Caribbeans or in Africans. So yeah, for Russians athletes, that might work. That's also the cultural and the uh, geographical and also the biological background of training with the Russians. Oh, where do you find a guy running under 10.20 in Russia? Or a girl running under 11 seconds? Even you don't, because it was all based on slow fiber or 50-50% fiber. No, you don't find many people with 80% fiber, fast-rich fibers or 70% percent fast twitch fibers in Russia at least. So... Your training programs
0: and your whole concepts are based around the specific type of athlete that you find there. That's yeah. an interesting one. Yeah. <laughs> That's pretty neat. Um, but looking at like specialized exercise for technique. Yeah. So, because you mentioned like Bondarchuk with the, you know, the, the seven kilo throws versus the eight nines versus the five sixes. Yeah. Have you utilized any specialized exercises for technique? You know, you talked about the the Dutch hurdlers and how they were great with all their technical drills, but they couldn't put yeah. it all together at the end. Yeah. Um. Do you practice anything like that?
1: Yeah, basically, it depends on the level of athlete, quite a lot, quite a lot, because then you're always closer to the to the uh, to the ultimate purpose of uh, of uh, of training, that is improving people in which you are. So let's say it's it, it sprinting with a strength character. Well, uphill running, for instance, running with a, with a harness. I think it's very important. The best way to improve uh, acceleration, apart from uh, standing starts and from the blocks, it's of course running with a harness over 30 meters. That's the best way to, to improve acceleration. There's not much yeah, uphill running, but most hills, you can't wear spikes on the hill. It's asphalt or, 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 or tarmac or, or grass even. So the most specific way is to run with, uh, with uh, uh, a harness or a little sled, you know, with weights on there and then
2: mm-hmm.
1: those kind of things. That's in sprinting the most important uh, one. For, uh, uh, I found that if you look at specific exercises, then here comes the key question, what is specific? When is an exercise specific and when is is it a general uh, exercise. And again, the 10% rule applies. If, uh, I, I, I come up with this 10% rule again. Um, and this is an important one. Yeah. Take, take a simple example. You run flat. Okay, you have certain strike length, certain contact time, certain strike frequency. Now you run uphill. Hmm. Stride length decreases because you're going uphill. Uh, contact time increases because you have to push a little bit longer and strike frequency it depends a little bit because they're shorter and but it depends on the angle of the hill now the best athletes they could maintain their sprinting technique even on the hill on this angle but if you're not a very good athlete you will have the feeling of uh, pushing a car already when uh, when uh, it is this angle so the optimum angle depends on the quality of the athlete same applies to downhill running. Mm-hmm. When you have a, a mediocre athlete, you run downhill days. You go ah, stepping on the brake, landing on the heel, leaning backwards and, and yelling, and we have a good uh, lead athlete, they can run downhill and maintain that technique even when it's very steep. So they have a wider uh, a bandwidth in which they can still perform well. Um, Yeah, so I think that's uh, that's uh, that's that's uh, important. That's one of the variations you always uh, always uh, do. So I like variation, but variation to a purpose, and right. not variation to vary in itself or to to vary to prevent uh, boredom.
2: If you if you're looking at boredom, get a job. Yeah. Get
1: a job. <laughs> yeah.
0: No doubt about that. <laughs>
1: Then you will talk about boredom again, or this is boring. Some people yeah. have an attention attention span of a couple of minutes only. And to please them, then you come up with something. where you shouldn't be in track because it's really, really, really boring. It's really boring doing the same thing all over. Right, take this seven kilogram ball, try to throw it as far as you can, and do this for the next fourteen years. Is that fun? If you can handle it, go and find a decent job or find another sport because they're boring. That's boring. Tennis just for fun. There's no play element in, 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 in athletics. There's no play element in there. You do not do shopping for fun. You do it but fun comes from performance, not right. because the movement is so cool because you throw the shot 100 times a day and that's it. That's not fun after all. There's a different kind of uh, motivation in there. So don't vary too for variation only. If you look at the specific, uh, so looking at specificity of, uh, of, uh, of an exercise. It should look like the competition movement. We, look at, we know how the competition movement looks uh, like. Um, it, we should use the same muscle groups, no doubt about it. No doubt about it. same muscle groups. We should use the same muscle fibers, basically fast twitch or slow twitch. If in competition it's based on using slow twitch and in, in, in training using fast it doesn't doesn't really help you. Uh, it's even worse the other way around. You know, running a marathon. Even if you have the running skill and the running movement in there, the running strike in there, it doesn't help you to run the, the sprint uh, uh, much faster. Then energy systems. So then you look at um, uh, psychological setting. makes a difference if, uh, if uh, 100 people are watching you in the weight room or 100 beautiful girls are watching you in the weight room. or Hold up by, by yourself, yeah. Take a look at how much difference it makes. So just film it with a video and see the difference in there.
0: Yeah, <laughs> I, that's funny because I'll tell you what, yeah. that yeah. couldn't be more the truth.
1: Yeah. I had a triple jumpers uh, bounding upstairs, and uh, well, the, come on, guys, competition all come oh, bum bum bum, and then. Girls of the national gymnastics team they came and said, Oh boing, boing, no boing. believe it or not, they jump much, much better than they did before. So <laughs> Imagine <laughs> that <laughs> but, but, yeah. We all know it, but that means that means specificity is uh, you look at the dynamics. For instance contact time is an uh, important uh, dynamic. If you the, the, the harness or the sledge is way too heavy, your contact time increases and it's better to go in, uh, to the weight room, to the weight room and lift squats. If the the hill is too steep, mm-hmm. contact everything change It doesn't look like sprinting. Go if you want to be strong. Too much of a, of the of strength component in there. Go and lift weights to uh, uh, cleans or, or, or squats or leg presses because it doesn't look like sprinting anymore. That that's it. So you look at uh, the, the, the force uh, time characteristics. Uh, you look at the uh, angular velocity. You look at the biodynamic parameters. That you Does uh, this ask yourself? Does it look like shot shuttle? Does it look like tennis? Does this look like javelin? Does it look like sprinting? If it doesn't, well, forget about it. So what I also did in the past was taking contact times of bounding, horizontal bounding for speed, Well, the contact time is way longer. Even if you do the fastest bounding, the contact time is still much longer than in sprinting. So it might help you in acceleration phase where the contact time is still longer than for maximum speed. For some people... uh, uh, they advocate uh, fast bounding for maximum speed. It's not, it's, it's just stupid. It's just too slow. Yeah. Yeah? Even if it looks like uh, very fast. And you think, wow, he was fast. And wow, he was fast bounding. Huh? It just isn't. It just isn't. And that might apply to most jumps. Most jump the contact time. is what you're learning to apply force in the longer time that you don't have while in competition. So you make, make things easy on people, you know? And, uh, yeah. Yeah. <laughs> Basically, gave them time to think. It's not, but you gave them too much time.
0: Right. What about breaking down parts of the movement and strengthening those? Well, you break them down. That's fine. You have to build them up again.
1: Right. You have to make uh, can make people very strong in some phases of a, of a movement, but then you make sure that they are strong in all phases of the movement. Otherwise, you get a kind of a, a weak link in the in the kinetic chain. So that's, that's right. uh, yeah, you do this, this kind of, uh, of imitation exercises uh, way of uh, a certain part of the movement. You think. Don't forget that strength is, uh, most strength exercises are uh, angle dependent as well. Isometric training is angle dependent, so you use uh, isometric training in 90 degrees, very good. But it doesn't mean you're getting stronger in, uh, in, uh, in 30 degrees mm-hmm. or in uh, 180 degrees. So it's angular, dependent on the angle which you train. It's also dependent on the velocity. Uh, Strength training is also, to a certain extent, velocity dependent. So it depends on which velocity you train. That's why isokinetic training most of the time is is too slow. 300, 400 degrees uh, per second. Well, sprinting and uh, long jump takeover are between 900 and 1100 degrees per second. So even if it looks fast to you, or it's called fast isokinetic, three times as slow as you as executed in your competition movement. So again the, the fast hydrokinetics might be fast for us, a doctor in sports medicine, but slow for a coach.
0: Right. <laughs> but I'm assuming it would safe it would be safe to say that breaking down different aspects, so say, I mean like Vurkoshansky in his yeah. his work always had that that knee drive movement yeah. with the kettlebell. Yeah. Dr. Yesis talks about it with active cords, you know, the pawing action of running that Burkoshansky yeah. talked about and Dr. Yesis talks about, it, and then the actual push push off, where he talks about lunges. We're taking these different aspects, strengthening them, working on the the general strength aspect of it, and then increasing the speed and resistance and then putting the parts together as a whole yeah. is
1: That's important. Yeah. That's important. You could also let me say, uh, take the whole movement and then what it is kind of top, uh, uh, bottom up. Uh, so right. take all the parts, make the parts stronger and then, and then combine them into the whole movement instead of breaking down the whole movement of, or take the whole movement and focus on some parts there. Um, I, for me, it doesn't make it uh, that much of a difference. I do both anyway.
2: Mm-hmm.
1: I just focus on, on lifting the knees while running, and, or focus now, exaggerate a little bit with the knee lift, huh? or say, well, we do psoas movements, uh, having the, the, the knee lift with resistance somehow, and also having the push, but the push can be also in, in, uh, with, uh, with the horizontal bounding, huh? where you focus on the pushing movement, or you can uh, do other things. So for me, I do both together, bottom-up and, and top-down. I use them both, as a matter of fact
0: that's awesome that's all because that we do a lot of that here you know with with, with our kids is it's the the yep. bottom up and, and working you know because I mean, it's predominantly team sports so if you look at the technical aspect of how to cut and, and things of that nature and then working on the actual the knee driving and the paw backing and and then the pushing aspect with different lunges and then how they actually utilize the movement yeah and then Build the speed, build the speed, build the speed, build the speed, and progress on top of it. And it's yeah. it's really it's, neat to see how much carryover there is to it.
1: Yeah, it is, it is. Well, there is, of course, otherwise any other movement, any, any exercise in the weight room would be useless. I always say, when you enter the weight room, forget about specific training. Unless you're a bodybuilder, powerlifter, or weightlifter. Anybody else, forget about specific training, because you cannot be specific. Unless you have a, a huge way too many you 30 meters from the blocks uh, in the weight room, that's fine. But normally, when you look at uh, squats, squats does it look like sprinting? Hmm, in no way. In no way. You go vertically in your takeoff, take off with two legs at the same time. You do it with a load on your back, and you're doing it really slow. So how could it help sprinting? <laughs> so when you start thinking about it, when you enter the weight room, <coughs> be aware that whatever you do in the weight there's no specific training anymore. But then you ask the next question, well, is that bad? No, 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 it isn't bad at all. Otherwise, I would never never visit the weight room. No, it's not bad at all. But you have to remember, it's not a specific exercise that you do. Even if you take fast lunges with a barbell in your neck or uh, with, with, uh, anything with an implement that you there it's slower than what you do outside on a track running for 30 meters flying anyway, or accelerating.
0: But those, if we call them general exercises, can have a dramatic impact on what you're actually trying to accomplish.
1: Yeah. Not the dramatic impact. It, 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 of course, it depends.
2: Mm-hmm.
1: If you're a young athlete and you've got the, uh, uh, thin legs like this, then... Yeah, general weight exercises will help you to be just uh, increase your overall strength in the beginning will help you. Well, I doubt if, if, if let's say, uh, somebody like Usain Bolt will benefit a lot from, benefit more from, well, let's say three months of weight from the exercise. Uh, I don't think he, he will be stronger, but to what extent do you disrupt the balance uh, that seems to be perfect for him that he has right now? So the better you become, the more you have to be careful that you don't risk, don't, Disrupt what is there. Right. That means I do I do believe in, 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 in giving something away in a few, during a couple of weeks or months, so you can work on other qualities. But you have to be sure it's it's coming back. Right. And not disrupt something for for indefinitely. So no long term damage there. So I think it's always a fine balance. Isn't it? <laughs>
0: right. So basically, again, it just comes back to the idea of when you're looking at. Those general qualities of just give them as much as they need, and because if you yeah. give them too much of it, then all of a sudden you're taking away from what really matters. Yeah, and yeah. then focusing in on more specialized, specific work that is yeah. going to carry over to the actual movement.
1: Again, it depends on the diagnosis with where they are in the, in, right. in, their, in, the, in that phase of their career. If you only general exercise to make them strong, coach will make them strong. You make them strong and strong and strong. And what a disappointment. They don't run faster. They don't, uh, the the, the, uh, basketball doesn't become much better. Even if they are stronger now, they look like very fit athletes. But it was just general fitness, which is great. But it doesn't add to their specific uh, skills. They cannot apply it to what they do in competition. On the other hand, you have this uh, specific work only so it's a high jump, you only do the high jump, the high jump, the high jump from full approach, the high jump, the high jump, the high jump. And in the end, you level off, and uh, well, you get into a motor stereotype. Performance isn't in, uh, doesn't increase anymore, so then you have to go back to general work. And why not changing these phases? And Why not uh, alternating these phases? Sometimes you focus on general work, sometimes on more specific work. Then general work is specific work, so they go... Uh, 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 or a uh, phase of stabi- stabilization, a of improvement, the state of stabilization and improvement technique. And it's always like this, don't, don't, don't uh, try to increase one thing tremendously and leave the other things behind. You know, it's not increasing uh, the engine of a car and leaving your petrol tank really small. It doesn't right. make sense. So, or yeah. uh, we'll having a driver that's not used to handle a car with this uh, tremendous amount of uh, power. Yeah. So you have to increase the quality of the driver, you have to increase the, the engine, and you increase, because you use more petrol, you have to increase the size of the petrol tank and probably use different fuels as well.
0: Yeah. Yeah, you're not going to give a 16-year-old a Ferrari.
1: No, 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 no. <laughs> <Yeah>. <laughs> Only yes, you have too many Ferraris in your garage,
0: then you just give it to play around. <laughs> but I don't. <laughs> no, me neither. Okay. I don't have singular Ferrari. Um, <laughs> okay. <laughs> but no, you know, so it's it's basically... You look at the general, you build the general. Then yeah. you look at the specific actions and needs, and you yeah. build on top of that general. And yeah. you can break down the techniques and build those strengths after the general has been performed. You know, it's, it's interesting. On the, the Canadian Coaching Center website, there's a, gosh, I can't even remember the name of it, and it's going to eat at me all day. But Bondarchuk had a, had a work on there that was like the summary of a bunch of stuff. Yeah. And he had, at the end, it was literally like, that long, like three paragraphs, maybe yeah. where he talked about, he looked at a, a longitudinal study where it yeah. was group X did 80, 20, 80% general, 20% specific yeah. and then yeah. vice versa. And the, the ability to increase performance using yeah. specialized and specific exercises yeah. was almost 50% greater. Yeah. Um, and that's, you know, that kind of drives a lot of what I do looking, you know, because really in the in the weight room when we look at the sports that I work with, it's I'm not going to really be able to improve a kid's swim stroke.
2: Mm-hmm.
0: I'm not really going to be able to improve the technique of a kid's jump shot. Exactly. I'm not going to be able to improve how our tennis players, you know, technically exactly. hit a serve or a backhand or, or whatever it may be, but we can strengthen the muscles that are involved with it, you know, build the general, work on specific exercises that are going to help those yeah. movements, and then kind of, I, I don't really know another way to say it, but kind of get out of the way and let the coaches work on the technical, tactical aspect, yeah. you know, because as Val so greatly said, as, as you know, Val, yeah, um yeah, yeah. Uh, rule number one is is skill is most important, and with no skill, there is no athlete. So I mean, you know, yeah, absolutely true. You're not going to be able to make a Subaru go, you know, 250 miles an hour. You know, if the kid can't play, the kid can't no. play. <laughs> <laughs> you
1: know? no, absolutely true. Absolutely true. You see, uh, kids who can barely uh, sitting in the starting block like 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 this with crossed arms. And they want to do all kind of bounding and harness running and everything, all kind of, uh, what do you say sophisticated drills and exercises with kids who can barely hold a uh, tennis racket uh, straight, they can barely hit a ball, and do all kind of uh, super maximum uh, things. It, it's, uh, yeah, again, it's anxiety with the coaches uh, sometimes.
0: Yeah. So, keep it keep yeah. it simple, stupid, right?
1: Yeah, absolutely, absolutely, that's true, that's true. You see, in the most complex training programs where. In the end, it doesn't really matter how complex or how simple it is. You judge on the outcome of the, of the training, uh, not how many factors you take into account and how complicated you make So I give a lecture sometimes, and people say, "Wow, a lot of variables! How does your workout look like?" I give a workout. That's simple. Yeah, but where does it conflict with what I've said before? It never conflicts with what I've said before. Just keep it simple. It doesn't mean I do uh, in the weight room and go with uh, 25 different exercises uh, in one day. The next day, uh, another 25 exercises. That's not what I said. That's not what I I said before. So, yeah, it it is complex, and that's why you have to keep it as as simple as possible. Otherwise, you go overboard. If you follow your complexity, you would be training uh, 20 hours a day just to to fulfill all the variables in there and to touch into all of them. So you go into the... uh, What do you cook for dinner? Okay, we eat Chinese. uh, I thought so. But why not a pizza in there? or French food, or why not uh, pancakes, and you know, all this together doesn't mix very well. That's right. Right. So when you cook food, you cook one meal. You don't cook French and Chinese and Japanese and uh, and, uh, and, and all these different styles uh, in, this, in the same dinner. You don't do that. And That's what most people uh, do. They, they, cook, uh, they want, oh, i afraid, a little bit of this and a little bit of that and a little bit of that, and in the end, it doesn't taste like anything.
0: Right. Yeah. We- I I gave a talk, and I I put kind of my thought process on a continuum and said that, you know, the specific stuff is what really matters. And Mm -hmm. the goal is to basically find things on a continuum that are going to lead you from from this general directly to this specific. And even if it's something as general as a squat, walking uphill... For yep. general conditioning, yep. if, if, it, if it leads you to this specific continuum, then it's yep. a general specific exercise, you know. Yep. And even if, you know, in the early part with a developing athlete, you have them in the weight room doing, you know, the twenty twenty five exercises, just because they're so weak that they need to work elbow extension, elbow flexion, wrist flexion, wrist extension, mm-hmm. back extension, you know, spinal flexion extension, hip extension and flexion in all four means, and you know, that. If it puts you on that continuum to develop this kid into the proper uh, direction, I guess is the word.
2: Yeah, yeah.
0: Then, then you're on the right track. But if you're just going to say, I've got a 12-year-old kid and we're going to do some really neat overspeed work and all these crazy different exercises and there's no reason to where you're going for your end result if you're jumping past all of that, you're just a detriment to the poor kid. Yeah. You know, and it's... Very good. Very yeah, good. it's something that I think a lot of coaches, especially over here, miss the boat on because they want to do so... so much of the, you know, the the, the cool stuff. Yeah, exactly. You know,
2: exactly.
0: that's it. Right.
2: That it... That's
0: it, right. yeah. They take more into account. They're so worried about what looks cool and what's going to entertain these kids yep. and it's, they're not, a
1: new, new trend. Uh, yeah. Now they buy a kettlebell or kind of kettlebell a while because somebody uh, said so or
2: Yeah, this
1: was something new. You know, for the, the latest trend and then after one year no world record. Okay, forget about the trend. There's a new, always a new trend coming up. Basically from fitness.
0: Right. You know, and if you can actually tell me why and show me why and show me what is actually gonna benefit the performance of this kid. Mm-hmm. I mean, because listen, their their general health is, is very important, you know? Yeah. Yeah. But that needs to be taken into account with the volume and the intensity and the duration of the training. Yeah. You know, that you're not beating them up and you're not setting them up for situations where these you know I, I hate the term, these overuse injuries. Yeah. yeah. I think it's more of under recovery and over stress than it is. Yeah. Because, I mean, we're designed to be used. You know what yep. I mean? Like, our bodies are designed to be used. But if yep. you just constantly, yep. you know, it, and you don't allow them to recover, and these kids stay stuck in these sympathetic states because, A, training obviously is not their primary, you know, thing to do with their time. They're 18 to 22-year-old mm-hmm. kids, you know, so they're, they're stressed out because of it. And B, you, you never let them recover from it. That's that's when you beat them up. Yeah. You know, it, it's really, it, it's crazy to me, you know, because if you could actually sit back and monitor it and know that they're improving and then figure out, well, exercise A is easy for, exercise, for athlete A. They're really not getting the benefit from it. We either need to change the volume, intensity, or the means of the exercise being used. If you can just take a step back and do that, it almost, to me, is just common sense progression. Yeah. You know? But and I forget, I, it's easy to uh, use to linear
1: thinking. If we do this, then that happens. Uh, but, well, if we do one, there's an impact on A. But if you do one, there's also an impact on It might be a negative impact on, 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 right. on D. So it, it's, 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 unfortunately, it's complex, and it's, most of the time it's not linear. This is the, this is the problem. Right. This is the problem. I used to have uh, one athlete, she's an uh, 800 meter running, one 156, 65 in the 800 meters, second in the world championships a couple of times, and uh, she came to me and uh, she worked out uh, five days a week only, only one time a day, and she came from a background of middle distance running and uh, everything over, let me say, 10 seconds I find uh, boring and slow. So, for the first time, training an 800-meter runner was kind of new to me, and she came from a background of working out seven days a week, twice a day, and then two hours, two hours and a half. But I'm a sprint coach, so I worked out five times a week, and, um, well, one hour and a half, but on in higher intensity and only quality. So, first question, in the first couple, am I doing enough? Am I doing enough? And so that's not a question, <coughs> if you're doing enough. The question is... You don't get a medal for doing enough. You get a medal for running fast. Let's make sure she runs fast. And after a couple of months, she won her first medal in the World Indoor Championship. First medal ever in a personal best. And she said, you think you're you you, you doing enough now? Okay, okay, okay. <laughs> she sort of joke a bit. But then she asked me, should I train? I train five times a week and two days off. What if I train tomorrow and Saturday as well? And training six times a, a, a week. Yeah. Interesting thought. Interesting thought. Because it's only uh, 20% more training. Yeah, 20% more training. But think about it instead of two days recovery, you have now one day recovery. And then one day recovery, only two days, is not for your muscle. Then you recover so quick, after a couple of hours, you can start again. Your muscles can. Your bones and ligaments and tendons cannot any more time for recovery, especially yours, because you're not that young anymore. You had a background of just pounding uh, and hard heart, heart training, and then she leveled off. And uh, so this is the problem. You do 20% more with 50% of the recuperation time. And once again, it's not the muscle or the autonomic nervous system. It's a passive movement apparatus, which, which in the end is causing most problems in, in, in middle distance athletes. It's not the heart or... or Depletion of glycogen that causes trouble. It, it's, it's the uh, it's the killer's tendon. It's the tarsal bones. It's the heel uh, spur. Things like this or shin splints. That's what you can uh, cause uh, problems. So that's what the two days are for. So 20% more and 50% less recuperation. That's the problem. Not only 20% more. It's the 50% less yeah. uh, recovery uh, time that you have. This is the problem. Well, then that year outdoors she won 156 of personal best. So okay, yeah. <laughs> so it's a quality. Don't only run what you need and not uh, not uh, train as much as necessary, and not as much as uh, possible. It's uh, always uh, uh, do everything with a, with a goal or with a purpose, and don't don't write things down thoughtlessly. And then in the end, when people ask you, why did you do this? And, well, I did it because well, the body is great at making up stories uh, afterwards, but. It's not good at making uh, uh, stories before. So after yeah, the I did it because do, 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 do. no, no. You have a, you have a clear goal what you want. I do as much as necessary. So uh, five times, and sometimes I must admit, uh, 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 two days or, uh, two times a, a day, a long endurance run in the morning, um, times one hour and a half or seven times uh, two hours, uh, uh, seven times times two hour, times, two hours, two hours and a half. Tremendous decrease in training volume, but increase in the, in, the, in the training intensity and quality of the training. And that is what's, uh well more than a second uh, PR with more than a second 800 meters on that level is quite a uh, quite a jump. Yeah. And she made a PR in the 400 meters as well.
0: Uh, yeah. That's awesome. you know, exercise yeah. is a drug. Training yeah, is a is drug.
1: It is. It, it, is, it is. it is. It is definitely.
0: Your your Still aspirin watching. comment was dead on with everything that we talk about, and it's you know, it, we've used it, and I don't know if I talked about with this with you last time or not, but we use it kind of a, a little more of an extreme example, being you know, you don't give somebody chemo for a cold, you know? No, no, exactly, exactly. But that's know.
1: why you talk about the therapeutic window. In the uh, in my weblog, I also talked about uh, training and looking at uh, if exercise is a drug. Then when you have a headache, you don't take ten aspirins. You only take them, take that one. Right. So you look at a the therapeutic window there. Mm-hmm. And then you take as much as necessary, and again, not as much as possible. Because you have ten, ten tablets or, or ten pills in your, in your body. So why not take them all then? Yeah. Well, that's the reason why. So you define it all by saying exercise is a drug. <laughs> yeah.
0: <laughs> Hank, as you always, know. man, it, it's a pleasure talking with you. This was really fantastic. <clears throat> this is going to knock people's socks off.
1: Okay, (laughs) thanks a
2: lot. Thank you, (laughs) Hank.
0: You have a fantastic day.
1: Okay, thank
0: you. Bye-bye.
1: Okay, bye-bye.